I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Trigger warning for brief discussions of child abuse. Someplace underneath. That was a cute song, though. Jizzling in your hair and your eyes. Yeah, well, you know, good Penny Lane. Oh, yes. Penny Lane and in my hair and in my eyes. I don't know the actual words to that song. <laughs> it is Jizzy Lane. Yeah, I like it. I like it with Jizzy Lane. It works more. I don't I don't know the lyrics to that song either. Beatles? So, yeah. No clue. They're one of those bands that I'm like, sure, I like them all right. What? I know that sound and it's fine. Yeah. I'm uh, not a huge... Oh, my God. Let me just alienate myself from like all of humanity but I don't really care about the Beatles yeah they're okay they're there they're kind of like the state of Rhode Island like it's there yeah and I think because we've been so inundated with them since we were born it's just like it's almost like white noise at this point yeah I'm sure it's great I'm sure when they first came out people were like here's my tits Paul McCartney yeah it's pretty incredible and now we've got Prince oh we've got Madonna oh Prince Did, did you just knock Oh no, my cup. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure that wasn't the door. Um, not a no no reason. I locked the door. I mean, we're talking about pedophiles in here. We can't have anybody coming in. That's true. You're right. Pedophiles are gonna try to get in here. Um, (laughs) then their little greasy fingers. Ugh, man, they are always greasy. So, uh, welcome to someplace underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson, and we are going down Giz Lane. Huh. Jizzy uh, lanes, yeah. Uh, we're going down Giz's lane. Um, it's a big old pussy hole. It really is. Only 13-year-olds are welcome. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, that's Do true. Do you think she fucked any of those kids, or was it mostly Jeffrey? Oh, we'll talk all about that today. Oh, my God. Ooh. It's not good. Lady pedophiles are just, I think of them maybe worse. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, because it's not like, it's not that it's worse that they're doing it but also it feels more, like almost more of a betrayal but then that that means we're putting we're saying that men um can get away with y- anything yeah yeah i feel the same way but i yeah i don't want to put it in that 
world yeah, in my I brain. Yeah, because I want to trust, especially an older woman. Like, mm-hmm. you want to trust them. Like, they've seen the world. They've walked your path. You want to ask for advice and get, like, good advice and not just like, yeah, 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 you're right. Come in this room, honey. I'll take you on this boat. Yeah, I mean... This is where we're headed. And man, there are boats. After doing this research on this series and the Shelley series, I'm starting to think that it's the boats that are radicalizing people. Oh, yeah. Those fucking boats. Huge boats. <laughs> they just make you into a monster. There just must be so much power. Well, it's maritime law. I mean. Right. It's the power of the lawlessness that makes you go crazy. I guess. Like you're playing God. Yeah, I think so. And this is where we last left Ghislaine, if you recall. Her father just fell off the boat. Mm-hmm. That was called the Lady Ghislaine after her his favorite daughter. So this is right after her father has been Kasui dented. That's what I'm calling him because we don't really know what happened. He could have been killed. He could have been suicided. He could have accidentally oh. fell off the boat. We don't really know. We never will. What's probably. Kasui dented? That's all the words combined. Oh, killed suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yep. Yep. But he's dead. But he's one of those people that like, if somebody would have murdered him, nobody's really looking into that because he seemed like an awful guy. Yeah. So let's get into that a little bit. So she had just turned 30 at this point, Ghislaine, Mm -hmm. and she was beside herself. And I think it would be fair to suggest she was pretty emotionally stunted all the way up through adulthood. Not ever well adjusted. She had to rely on daddy for money, for help. And all the way up to 30. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because you and I are very well adjusted. And so it must be really hard for somebody like that. We've we've really figured shit out. Um, (laughs) While her mom, Betty, had been the one to have to identify that six foot four, 286 pound body in the autopsy room. Huge man. Yeah, he was giant. And she was also responsible for starting the phone calls and the paperwork and all that boring stuff uh, after you find your dead husband. Galeen was tasked with the initial public statement, which we ended the last episode with. And we learned that she came out swinging, accusing somebody of straight up murdering her father. Wow. I mean, (laughs) one time I was in the spa and like I thought somebody stole my towel and I was like, chill out for a minute. Don't just go around confusing, like, you know, being like, did you steal my towel? Or you could have just gotten in front of the spa and made an announcement that you believe your towel's been stolen. (laughs) Like, Uh, miss, we'll give you another towel. Yeah. (laughs) No, you stole. Were you super connected to that towel? (laughs) So she's accusing people of, like, murdering her father. Yeah. She wasn't the only one. Robert's personal lawyer and his personal doctors also voiced suspicions. They weren't present when that happened. However, if you recall that then whenever his body was found, if you'll recall, the Lady Galene was sailing somewhere off the coast of Spain. And it's there that he ended up being autopsied. The forensic pathologist there deemed his death most likely attributed to a heart attack. It was only later on that the autopsy was questioned, as many people believe that there was insufficient testing done, even though Spain had better equipped facilities than the one his autopsy was performed in with more modern technology. They ended up choosing the one closest to the airport with shoddier equipment, and they didn't have all the updated technology in it. Really? Because you think they're so rich, they would just be like, no, let's go like to the nicest autopsy. But they're like closest to the airport? Yeah, and I think it's because they were on... Spain's territory, they might have had limited say. It was more like Spain's call to do it. Wow. It's hard to say. It's really tricky because I don't know what happens if you're 
in a foreign country and then you die. There, there has to be a lot of paperwork involved. Oh my God. Like if I just go to Tulum and then shoot myself in the head, what would happen? I don't know. There's a lot of paperwork for somebody. I mean, I'm food for the birds. That's true. I would. I think that's a nice way to, to go though. <laughs> so yeah, because of this, they were unable to entirely rule out suicide or murder. However, a second autopsy was performed eventually due to a large insurance payout being on the line for the family. But this one occurred in Israel, the place where Robert Maxwell was being laid to rest. The scandal and the multi-country examinations would leave a lot more questions than answers, and we'll probably never know what actually happened on the Lady Ghislaine that night. His funeral took place in Israel, and it commenced on the Mount of Olives, a place that's a holy mountain saved for important figures. Wow. um, Dating all the way back to biblical kings. So this was a huge deal. Like the Israeli people, because of the work he had done in the past, and I mean, there's so many shady he things. He was a spy. Yeah, like, it's it, there's like some above the line, like notably good things. Like he gave the money to have businesses and stuff open earlier in his career. But then also there was all this other. He might have been a spy for them. Blah blah blah. There's so much stuff he might have done. Mm. We'll have no idea. Yeah. So they put him in this sacred place. The entire family was there for the service, except for Ghislaine's sister, Christine, who was filled with seed at the time and couldn't travel. Oh. It was a serious and somber event, and it was super grand. It was a ceremony that could have been mistaken for a president or religious leader, his last rites, or his or her last rites. However, about an hour after the funeral, as the family boarded their private plane, the pilot, David Whiteman, said later on that the family was rambunctious. They were filled with laughter and they popped champagne and ate chocolates as soon as the funeral was over. Whoa. So at this point... I mean, I'm sure they're glad their dad, who like screamed at them, died. Yeah. And also they think, even though some of the family might have been involved in a little bit of the fraud he was doing, I don't think any of them really knew what shitstorm was about to be unleashed upon them from their father's dealings. Because he didn't give them any money, right? So, well, they think they're getting a lot of money. And they actually would have, even though, you know, we were talking about when he was quoted earlier saying that nobody would get his money other than Ghislaine and one of his sons. But there was still like the insurance payout in all these different places. The insurance payout would have been something like, I think, 20 million pounds. Mm. So it was some serious cash. But guess what? Because the autopsy stuff was also shady and confusing, the insurance company slithered out from having to pay the family. They always do that. I know. When I was reading, Betty was paying £60,000 a year for that insurance policy, and they wouldn't even give her any of that money back. What? Yeah. It's really bad. Whoa. Can you sue an insurance company? I mean, they were in litigations with them or whatever for, for a long time. But during this time period, this is also when Robert's crimes are coming out. So now they're dealing with the court cases with this as well. I mean, he really left them in shambles and in their lives for several years. And that family were like pretty jacked. Mm. I don't feel super sorry for them, but no, because like for them, they're quote unquote poor. But to us, they have still have a lot of money. Well, yeah, that's exactly what's going to now happen with Ghislaine. So there's so many books about Robert Maxwell's crimes, and you can find them. There's dozens of books. He littered. He didn't tip the waiter. He, well, he technically did litter all the time because he left his food particles everywhere and just on the ground, yeah, on the he counters. Was disgusting. He shit in the towels. Yeah, he was gross. But you can read about that in a lot of books. I'll make a list. Maybe I'll put them up on TikTok or something. But um, what's relevant here is that the family was left up shit creek without a paddle. 
But when I say that, like you just said, when they say broke, they mean rich people broke. As in, I only have thousands of dollars. Yeah. So ironically enough, Robert Maxwell was the only one of his entire family who probably could have survived actually being poor. None of them had ever experienced anything like that before. So Ghislaine herself had a trust and had been getting regular monthly checks for much of her adult life. While a vast amount of their family's assets were seized or put up to auction to help fund the endless court appearances basically that came from the result of Robert's crimes, they were still managing to keep their own individual holdings to an extent because while authorities tried really hard to blame the like Ghislaine, Kevin, Ian, the mother Betty, tried to blame them for the the crimes, they were ultimately not found at fault for all of the fraud and embezzling. A fact that leaves all those people who lost their pensions to curse the family to this very day. They do not believe that especially Ian and Kevin didn't know that it was happening. So, and Ian and Kevin never faced any consequences for it. Wow. Can you imagine like your whole family, like you, your pension is lost, you're downtrodden, you're broke, your life is over. And the guy responsible is buried in a mountain for kings. Yeah. And the, the sons are really, they're fine. They're doing yeah. fine. The ones who probably helped him to some extent. They had to have known. I think so. And Ghislaine didn't maybe, like we talked about, she might not have known, known, but she knew she was doing some weird, you know? Like, she just didn't ask. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. I just won't look. I'll just do what he said. Damn, this sounds like he knew this shit was going down and was like, you know what? I'm going to off myself. Because he also seems like a big enough scumbag to be like, you know what? My problem's on anybody else. And that's one of the many ways that people have suggested that he did die. And it's quite possible the one that actually seems the least likely is that he fell because of the way the railing was on the ship and his weight and everything. He would have had to have like had a pee. He was nude. He would have had to have been peeing over the railing, had like a heart attack, somehow got over top of the railing and then fell. It's weird. It's, it's, yeah, he's a big dude. It Yeah, but ultimately he was it never went any further than them, the autopsy is saying that he died of natural cause, you know, not natural causes, but like through nothing, you know, nefarious. But we don't, we don't, we'll never know. I don't necessarily think that he fell. But in Ghislaine's world, she was in fact allowed to keep her trust, which gave her $100,000 annually. $100,000 a year. Yeah. And it was $100,000 in 1992. So it's a lot more like $200,000 in today's wow. money. She's practically a hobo. And this is where we find her in 1992. Broke. How do you make the sound of the uh, SpongeBob writing from Twitter? Oh, with the cat. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was so broke in New York. I would, um, I didn't eat for three days. Yeah. Because yeah. I like, paid all my bills and I had to get a Metro card because you have to go to work. Yeah. I've stayed in hostels. It yeah. fun. So she was broke and living in the Upper East Side of Manhattan on East 79th Street. You know, where all the poor people are in New York. Oh, yeah. Right by that Fairfax Market where everything's organic. Yeah. 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 So she was living up there. Uh, in fact, Christina Oxenberg, a sister of the actress Catherine Oxenberg and a distant cousin of British royal family, recalls being invited to Ghislaine's new apartment on, on East 79th Street. Ghislaine had warned her friend that she was poor, but Oxenberg encountered a light-filled, spacious home. 
Glane hosted the get-together in a white lace bra, panties, and a lot of expensive jewelry. Present, too, was Ghislaine's Yorkshire Terrier named Max after her father that she tossed around in an aggressive way. There's a lot in that paragraph to unpack. And also just, and like, I, I totally dig, like, going over to somebody's house and, like, we're all in our underwear and jewels. That sounds really fun. But it does. It's like some kind of fancy underpants party. Yeah, but it seems weird when she's doing it and, like, throwing her dog around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know what was happening there. And I actually would love to ask this woman what the context of the situation was. But uh, this woman will come back around, though, man. She really sang like a canary about Ghislaine. She's quoted quite a bit in the the tell-alls. So it appears that during this time of her grieving, which I do believe she was grieving because she her entire personality was centered around her father. She didn't know who she was and she was devastated. Mm. And she, that's why she, you know, took her, her sad self to the Upper East Side of New York and that was where she's going to start her life over again. And that's what she did all the time for a while is party. Sometimes in her underpants, sometimes in a dress. It sounds fun to be honest, but then again, she's going to grow up to molest kids. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, during this time period, I mean, like, gava, you know? There's no crime in just being sad she's young she's single in new york go party yeah gives a shit have some like lingerie party nobody's eating lasagna though Ooh, lasagna lingerie party (laughs) like some hearty meal lasagna party there we go all right we gotta do this now um (laughs) she lived there among the affluent because i was obviously being sarcastic before if you're not familiar with new york where she lived was where The rich and famous live in New York. Yeah. And she lived among them and she continued her career of networking, just like she was doing for her dad before. Only now it seemed like she was quite rudderless and it was unclear exactly what she was networking for. Yeah, because she was working for dad and now the dad's gone. It's like, what are you doing? I don't know that she knew what she was doing, but... Mm. She was good at networking. She was a partier. She she could, you know, entertain a crowd. She would have been good as the wife of like an, you know, aristocrat or something. She could have entertained and and had those sorts of like held soirees and stuff like that. People in that Upper East Side circle have a strong memory of her from this time or at least her presence. She was still quite withheld and was quite a mystery and what she did with what she did outside of partying except cry anyone who knew her at all outside of the party life remembered her crying all the time during this era she was quite lost i think um so sad and like anybody could come sweep in she could have been an improviser i know right god she could have been a comedian (laughs) good lord at least she didn't become a comedian no um, another friend of Maxwell's during her first days in the New York social scene remembers a woman shaken with insecurities. For the daughter of such a powerful man, she seemed insecure, mm. the friend who requested anonymity recalled. It was as if she wasn't sure of how to fit in. She always seemed a bit sad to me. That's usually like the children of very powerful people are usually like that yeah. because you kind of have to live under the shadow. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of like that for a while, but then I like I had to leave home. Yeah. And then go figure it out myself. But you were never coddled in that way or like just handed money. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it can be if you have a powerful um, like if you have a big personality parent, I can be kind of stifling in a lot of ways. And you do have to sort of get out of Dodge. But she's decided it was easier to kind of stick around dad and and make money off of him and kind of just like 
travel all the time as yeah. a job. I mean, I guess if I'm getting $200,000 annually, once a year, <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know, I, that's very tempting. Yeah, except like the whole time her dad was still being a complete dickhead to her, you know, and he, he just... He controlled her every move and, like, controlled who she dated and, and spoke to. It is a gilded cage. It really is. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcast for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. So I think, yeah, like I think she can probably be, that can be attributed to the fact that she and her personality were always an extension of her dad. And I never got any sense from any of the resources I found that she had any of her own personal ambitions aside from staying rich. Mm. She really, really wanted to be rich. I mean, that's a good, you know, fun. Good for you. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, there should be some lines to draw on the sand, I think, with that. But uh, she didn't think so. Uh, she never shied away from and ultimately she this is like not necessarily related, but it does sort of show her transition over. She never shied away from being provocative. As we mentioned last episode, people considered her a bit of a guy's girl, which is, you know, sort of an antiquated phrase. But I think what they mean by that is. She was always overtly sexual and had like a raunchy sense of humor. Oh, I mean, I'm pretty sec. Well, I have a raunchy sense of humor, but like I like women. Yeah. I, yeah. I think women have a dirtier sense of humor than men do. For sure. And I think it's nice that now we're, we're at a point in society when it's a lot more acceptable for women to just be whatever they want. Back at this point in the 90s, which was a horrible time for many reasons, she was the kind of the outstanding character tra those were the sh character traits that she held that wasn't necessarily the way a lot of women were expected to behave at the time yeah and so all of this is setting up the layout the cards are being set into place for j-bone time mm. so when did she and jeffrey epstein first cross paths most sources attribute this time period to their star-crossed encounter however there is some speculation that she had known him before then I think I touched on it last episode, but... Oh, yeah, because her father was very like, you know, you can't date this person, you can. She might have known Epstein before. Yeah, it's at least... It, you can say with certainty that Epstein and Robert Maxwell ran in the same circles. They knew similar people. And there is some speculation that they actually, Jeffrey and Ghislaine, knew each other earlier than before Robert's death. Mm. Maybe Jeffrey killed her father. <laughs> Let's just put it in there. Let's throw it in as an option. <laughs> Why not? I love it. Uh, so they potentially have known each other as far back as the 80s. 
People have testified to this. This includes the Mossad operator, Ari Ben Mijnash, stating in an interview that Jeffrey was hanging around with the family as far back as 1980. And it was under Robert's eye that the two started, like, smashing. I wouldn't really call it dating. Yeah, see, she seems like a... In in her words, be like, I fucked him and I fucked him. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But, like, with the, like, quaint... British accent. I, I oi, oi, fucked him. <laughs> she wasn't cool enough to be Cockney. She was very like, her voice was always, if you go back and watch her videos, she spoke in this sort of almost babyish, soft British voice like this, uh, upscale British. That's so weird. And I'm, it's very disturbing because of all of the things we're about to get into in this episode. I'm imagining her in underwear and like throwing around a dog. Yeah. Like, well, I'm British. Yeah. That was kind of how she presented herself publicly. Mm. And so this guy, Ben Minash, also claims it was Galene who was the one who fell head over heels for Jeffrey, which regardless of when they met each other, I think that's accurate. So Ari Ben Minash, the former Israeli spy and alleged handler of Robert Maxwell, said of Epstein, Maxwell introduced him to us and he wanted us to accept him as part of our group. He also said that Epstein started dating Galene in the late 80s and had met her through her father. The young couple had then been recruited by the Israeli intelligence Ben Minash told journalist James Robertson, Epstein was the simple idiot who was going around providing girls to all kinds of politicians in the United States. See, fucking around is not a crime. It could be embarrassing, but it's not a crime. But fucking a 14-year-old girl is a crime. Mm -hmm. And he was taking photos of politicians fucking 14-year-old girls, if you want to get it straight. They would just blackmail people. They would just blackmail people like that. It was a straightforward honey trap. Ooh. So this is a wild accusation to throw out. Um, and just to be clear, you cannot fuck a 14-year-old. You are raping a 14-year-old. Yes. Uh, just so we're all on the same page. And they would just take pictures and be like, like you know, use, imagine you're a politician. And be like, hey, I have a picture of you raping this child. Give me $200,000 or you're over. Right. And that's what this guy is alleging. And while it's been confirmed that this Mossad operative has handed over accurate intel before, we have to take these kind of accounts with a grain of salt because they've never been confirmed. However, Jeffrey did operate in that way, regardless of whether or not that's true. He held secrets and that's how he got away with stuff for a long time. But he's a Scorpio. Uh, I don't know. Scorpios hold secrets, I think. I mean, I don't trust a Scorpio. Really? No, I don't. I don't actually remember when that is. That December? October, around that time. Yeah, I don't know. I will have to go back and look at They're what They're very sign sexual was. and secretive. I wouldn't, it could be, an, Epstein could be a Scorpio. I don't know if I would consider him sexual as much as compulsive. He was- Just a nasty rat. He's a nasty little rat boy. <laughs> That's what he is. So the, regardless, maybe they knew each other in the 80s or not, but the most accurate and provable time frame is that the Galene grieving period is when we know they knew each other. So who is this Jeffrey Epstein, huh? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to spend much time explaining him because you can Google 16,000 references right now. Um, I would recommend reading The Spider by uh, Barry Levin, I believe, if you want a good breakdown or Relentless Pursuit. Those are both very updated breakdowns of his life. But I do want to touch on why and how these two might have bonded. Much like Robert, Jeffrey came from meager beginnings. Not as meager as Robert, um, Glenn's father, but he grew up on Coney Island pretty poor. Ooh, so he's probably like, I mean, didn't Coney Island dudes just go to see prostitutes like to become a man? <laughs> I mean, he might have. He was sort of a savant. His family was 
a pretty meager, they came from meager beginnings. And he just was sort of an unusual kid who ended up working his way up the line to the point where he was teaching at a private high school without any credentials when he was very young. Yeah. So he might have just gotten one of them, you know, lovely Coney Island ladies. Thank you, ladies, for your work. Thank you very much. I mean, so many dudes I fucked. I was like, this guy's going to go kill some people unless I suck them off. (laughs) And so we have to thank those women for their service, for sure. Absolutely. So Jeffrey's like her father in that way. And also much like Robert, Jeffrey started making his money young. And from the start, it came from a bit of nebulous places about where and when his sources came from, where his money was being compiled from all these different places. And he he was as mysterious as Ghislaine's father was with money. Well, that's a very East Coast work ethic. You're like, how'd you get this? Like, they're in a, some kind of mob thing. Don't or- worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because Jeffrey did have a pretty thick New York accent. He's like the evil doppelganger of Anthony Bourdain. That's what he reminds me he of. He does look like Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, it but sucks. I, Anthony Bourdain looks chill and like... Right. Anthony Bourdain looks like the kind of dude that if I got drunk around him, he would just like put me on a couch and then leave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you just don't want to be with the alternate side of him. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And also, much like Robert, Jeffrey saw women more as pawns on their own little chessboard, pieces to be moved around and manipulated. What a piece of shit. They both really objectified women. They also saw them very superficially, even in a bureaucratic kind of way, like they served functions. So from the book Death of a Tycoon, it says Maxwell, Robert, always the sexist, was proud that Ghislaine was a good looking woman too. Ghislaine's photograph was the only one he kept on his desk. <gasps> so of all of his not children even his wife? and his wife, none of them, he kept no photos of them except for Ghislaine because I think he saw her as proof that he, first off, his genetics were good. And secondly, I think it was a draw for businessmen who came in to look at a pretty girl on his desk. Yeah, that's when I worked in corporate America in New York, they would send me down. I mean, I was a file clerk, but anytime we had business guys come in, I was pretty young. They would be like, Amber, can you go down and greet them? Yeah. Every time it was me. And then I would like scurry away back in my like file clerk off, you know, hole. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're probably trying to like grab your butt and stuff. <laughs> it sucks, but that's like not that far off from reality. <laughs> Because even far, I mean, as far back as, you know, a couple generations ago was just considered acceptable if like the secretary was getting her ass pinched, just meant she looked good in her outfit, you know? So this behavior was displayed by both of these men time and time again. While they were most assuredly sexually aroused by these women and girls, they both saw them more as points of power, a business accessory, something that could get them through doorways or take care of a bodily function. One of Jeffrey's victims said that she felt like Jeffrey was simply demanding to come three times a day in a perfunctory manner with the enthusiasm of taking a shit. Um, you know, these kind of guys, they want to masturbate with the body of a woman. Right. They, they don't care who it is. Right. Instead of like going to jerk off, looking at, you know, penthouse, they're just like, I just need this 14 year old girl's life to be ruined so I can masturbate today. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I think about. Well, I came. Yep. So many dudes I've kicked out of my house because they finished in like five seconds. And they're like, whew, that was good. And I'm like, I never came. And they're like, what? And I'm like, get out of my fucking house. I mean, I'm sure they don't know how to do it and probably have never uh, been asked to before. (laughs) Usually, probably it's the same where women are like, okay, thank you. Bye. Could you leave now? Yeah. 
because you suck. Anyway, so as terrific <laughs> as it sounds, I think that there was a comfortability with Jeffrey for Ghislaine. It was somebody she knew how to deal with, a system of rewards and punishments. And she maybe was even addicted to the cycle of that abuse. Not to humanize her, but to try to understand how this kind of thing happens. Yeah, people often marry their the worst parent. Yeah. And her dad, while her mom also was not maybe the world's best parent, her dad definitely wasn't great. So another part uh, from Death of Tycoon, the author goes on to say, because he was a guy who had actually followed, the, the author of that book was actually a guy who followed around Robert during his time. Um, so he had really deep connections to the family knew a lot about their personal workings because he was following them to write interviews and things. So he says, I witnessed Maxwell together with Ghislaine on a number of occasions, usually in his office. She would be affectionate going up to him and kissing him on his forehead while he was sitting at his desk, calling him daddy. Mm. And he seemed momentarily to be genuinely pleased to see her. But if she stayed in the room for more than a few minutes, Maxwell would grow impatient and want her out, suggesting she should go and leave him alone. But all the time she was in his presence, Ghislaine would never be able to relax. Maxwell would blow hot and cold towards his favorite child. So he would kind of parade her around. He would use her when it was prudent for him to, you know, need a pretty girl to take to important lunches and those things. And she was rewarded with presents and and gifts and houses and cars from that. But on top of that, he would also show remarkable meanness towards her. Mm. Ghislaine, who only seemed to eat enough to keep a mouse alive, would occasionally pop into her father's kitchen in the suite and nibble at some smoked salmon or cheese or take some fruit. For some reason, that made Maxwell furious and he would ban her from the kitchen, ordering his chef, Martin, not to give her food anytime without his express permission. And on one occasion, Maxwell ordered the locks of the kitchen to be changed just to stop Ghislaine helping herself to tiny amounts of to the vast hoard of food that was kept there at all times. So this is perpetuating. Um, I think keeping her slim really was beneficial to him. And it perpetuated her already obviously very prevalent eating disorder, if you remember. Yeah. She was already stopping eating at three years old. But he it that benefited him for her, her to be very slender. So then I have a huge appetite. I mean, I had a whole croque monsieur today, and that's like a grilled ham and cheese sandwich with a uh, white sauce. I mean, God bless. (laughs) I love eating too. I I can't. I I had definitely struggled with eating stuff when I was younger. I couldn't not eat, though. It would just make me so miserable. But I did it for years. Really? Yeah. No, I like food quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm from, <laughs> from Louisiana. I know, but I got an eating disorder down there. Ro- yeah, right. Exactly. Robert would not have approved of me as a daughter. Um, no, me neither. Me just like housing pulled pork sandwiches. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here, you woman. So she saw some of this behavior in Epstein, no doubt. While their uh, love story, quote unquote, is alleged to have commenced, he was already living in that brownstone at 9 East 71st Street where it was raided eventually, um, you know, in recent history. Mm. He was already there in the early 90s. If you'll recall, that's just two shakes of a lamb's tail from old Ghislaine's place on 79th Street. So she lived a fi- about a five minute drive, give or take, from Epstein oh, back yeah. then. 71st to 79th? Yeah. Easy walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a beautiful walk, too. And Epstein, while never probably feeling the depth of emotion Ghislaine held for him, 
always showed signs that he did care for her, and more importantly, he had great use of her. See, while Epstein had the money, Ghislaine had the pedigree, the Rolodex, and all the party manners. Epstein was, by all accounts, kind of a dumpy slob who was awkward at parties and rarely had on, you know, hard pants. Just like her father. Yeah, it's truly. You marry your most complicated parent. Yep. And yeah, so he always had these kind of gross baggy sweatpants on. I don't know if that was comfort due to his ugly, uh, weird shaped penis, but maybe. Um, (laughs) Looks like a witch's hook. It looks like an egg. Really? Yes. Um, that's how they, <laughs> if you want to watch something fun when he is getting interrogated a couple years ago, the <laughs> they keep asking him if it's true his penis is shaped like an egg because they're trying to confirm. It just, it's mostly to fuck with him and he gets so mad in it. It's, it's a great video to watch. Yeah. But yeah, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be kind of like normal width in at the bottom and then it goes up into a narrow top. Yeah, so it's sort no. of like an egg penis. Oh, so it's like shafty on the bottom and tiny up top. It yeah. might snap off. You got to watch out. I know. It sounds pointy. <laughs> but yeah, so he, uh, yeah, he's got a weird old dick. Of course he does. Guys with big dicks, I mean, yeah, they're rude, but they're just like rude on the street. Maybe they'll like work, you know, selling cat pens <laughs> by the fish market. That's my own experience. But guys, it's <laughs> <laughs> like... So in the, the book, The Spider... Barry Levin writes, once they clicked, Epstein and Maxwell became kind of a perfect symbiotic creature. The control that her father had exerted over Ghislaine with her behavior and appearance was now directed at Epstein. Ghislaine made sure that Jeffrey dressed right, looked right, and spoke right. She was both nanny and headmistress. She'd tell Jeffrey what to do in front of people, according to a friend. She would say, no, you don't do it that way. While I'm sure that is very accurate, I would add on to that that at the end of the day, though, it was Jeffrey who wielded the real power in that dynamic, not only because of the money, but because of her obsessive need to please him and be approved of by this male figure. Mm. People noticed right away that they didn't appear to have much of a sexual tension or, or even affection towards each other, even though they, they presented themselves as a couple. There was a little more of that, like, bro dog energy Though I think that was mostly on Epstein's side where he'd do that thing where he'd grab her by the neck, you know, with his elbow and be like, yeah, this is my, my Ghislaine. Yep. Like would never really like say it's my, my lover kind of thing. Like never call her my girlfriend. Yeah. My friend. Yeah. This is my friend who's a girl. <laughs> um. So yeah, again, Within the book, The Spider, Barry Levin says, what Maxwell's true desires were in regards to Epstein remains the subject of intense debate. Did she want to marry Epstein as some believed or was it all an act? Glenn was starving herself. I asked her about it. Christina Oxenberg called her. Christina's back to, to lay down the smacks. Hell yeah. She said it's because Jeffrey likes his women thin. And I could see the delusion because she was his employee, albeit being paid very well. The more she tried to push that she was having an affair with Jeffrey, and I think she means like a love affair with Jeffrey, yeah. I could see with my own eyes that that just wasn't the case. Mm. To Oxenberg, there was no romance. Maxwell was Epstein's beard, and the pair were two grifters trying to outgrift each other. That's an interesting way to put it. Damn, Christine, what a bitch to I know. things right. Loving it. I, you know, well, you gotta, if you get implicated by 
being a friend of somebody like that, you're like, I'll fucking tell you everything because I'm not a part of this shit. Two grifters trying to outgrift each other. It's true. I, I really, I think that that's poignant and correct. So through all this, when do we know that Ghislaine really became part of the sick shit? One of the first accounts that included her in the mix on paper was in 1994, as per the court documents of a 13-year-old girl identified only as Jane Doe. The pair met her at the Interlochen Center for the Arts, a school for gifted children that he gave money to. And at one time, the school had a building named the Jeffrey Epstein Scholarship Lodge. Oh, wow. Which is where you, a place you definitely want to send your kids to. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, he donated there so he could skulk around the perimeter like a fucking egg dicked piranha. Mm. That was why he gave money to the school. In the girl's testimony, these two goblins approached her, asking about her family life and explaining they like to patronize young, talented girls. After the girl had returned home to Florida, because the school is in Michigan, it's like you get sent away for a couple months, which mm-hmm. is prime real estate for a pedophile. Oh, yeah. You just get those like kids separated from their parents. Yep. And so this is where we're going to really see the worth of Ghislaine. So she goes back home. This girl goes back home to Florida. Epstein calls up her house and invites her and her mother to come to his mansion in Palm Beach. He then, as he brings them to his house, he then explains that he can mentor the girl and Maxwell comes into use, making the girl and her mother feel at ease. So she even feigned sometimes being his wife. I don't know if it was the case in this one, but she presented herself as, I'm his wife, it's fine. You know, I'm his partner. I, I This is all legit. It's above the line. Oh, because if she was just like, oh, my boyfriend, you'd be like, all right. Or even just her being there, her presence would put the mother at ease. So they were also doing this with parents sometimes. This poor girl and her mother were the perfect victims. They needed financial help because her father had passed away recently and her mom was trying to keep her family afloat. So they needed money and this girl had talent and they acted like they were just this like sweet rich couple who liked to help struggling artists kids. So the mom agreed and she started sending the girl back and forth to Jeffrey's estate where the real grooming commenced. Ghislaine was a massive part of this too. She played a big role in pushing the girl out of her comfort zone and normalizing the sexual abuse. The account is very detailed and it is vomit inducing. I think that's more than enough of a description for me, but you can find it if you want. That began the partnership from hell. Even though this came out in 94, this was probably happening a year or so into her knowing, Jeffrey. Yeah, it starts slowly. Yeah. So from accounts of Maria Farmer, another long-term abuse victim and public advocate of Jeffrey's, she witnessed Ghislaine go get girls for Jeffrey, new biles, as Ghislaine called them, which is like, oh, oh, oh. Nubiles. My skin crawls. In an interview, Farmer described Maxwell's scouting operations as cowboy in nature. They had a driver and he would be driving along and Ghislaine would say, get that girl. And they'd stop and she'd run out and get the girl and talk to her. So, Oh my God. And the girl would again, this is why we hate female pedophiles, is because she would trust her a little more. Absolutely. This is one of the things that was one of her tasks as his employee was that she would spend hours and days prowling the streets looking for the type of underage girls that Epstein liked, which is 
to say prepubescent looking pure quotation marks no tattoos no piercings that just looked virginal like i do think because he was so disgusting they want to like take they want to defile i think a little bit yeah i think as we'll get into i think galene also enjoyed it because she wanted jeffrey to love her and so i think she took that out on the kids to an extent Yeah, she just wants to be loved and she's like used to being used she doesn't yes. know herself at all no definitely not I don't think she even does. I think she's sitting in jail still going like, what is my life? What I hope happened? she listens to this episode. <laughs> I don't know if she can. <laughs> I don't know if she gets access to podcast networks. I think she'll find a way. I hope so. So it is not an exaggeration to say that she was circling high schools and middle schools like a trench coated pervert. But what she had over those guys who those proverbial <laughs> trench coated perverts was what they wish they could get, which was the presumed innocence because she was a woman. Nobody was questioning her because she, it wasn't Jeffrey and her going around. It was just her just trying to her. find these girls. Oh, even after Jeffrey died in prison, she was still like they couldn't find her. Yeah. And we'll get to that in a little bit because she actually parts ways with Jeffrey way before then. But it doesn't matter. Maria Farmer's little sister was, in fact, one of the couple's earlier victims who was groomed for a time before having Ghislaine pressure her to begin massaging Jeffrey and says Ghislaine herself was the first of the two to actually molest her. Jeffrey wasn't in the room, but she felt certain he was watching them. And this was a show that was choreographed by him. But Ghislaine was actually Maria Farmer's little sister's first rapist. I'm not detailing this too much. The accounts, again, are free to find. I'm not even giving the overview of this to be salacious, but I want to highlight that Homegirl was not just a madam. She wasn't just a girlfriend who looked the other way. She was a co-rapist from the start. Wow. Just because she was there for the guy doesn't excuse it in any way, shape, or form. I She's get, a guy's girl. I know, right? She just likes to party. It's cool. She's fun. She likes football and objectifying children. Um, <laughs> I get really angry, of course, because it's a female helping to lure in young females for a, a source. But I, I try to look at it past that, engage my tiny levels of sympathy based on the circumstances that brought them there. Like, do you remember, did you follow that story of the Turpin family at all? Do you remember that family where it was like the 20 kids were in the house and they all matched outfits and stuff? Yes. And they were like a band, right? Um. They, music group the, like they did Elvis weddings there's like photos of them going to their parents Elvis wedding and all that mm -hmm. I was thinking about them earlier today because I think the wife exemplifies another side where she's obviously very guilty and her kids deserve to have justice and she deserves the punishment but I have a tiny bit more sympathy in my heart for her because she was taken in by the husband when he was much older and she was still a minor. Oh. And he sort of groomed her into full submission. She still ended up allowing them to mistreat their children. But that's the but only world she's ever known. Exactly. And we'll get into this with the next episode because we're going to be going to episode four with regards to some of the other co-conspirators of Jeffrey's, other women. They all have different backstories, so I really want to talk about them. But... Ghislaine is uniquely repulsive because while we saw her go through some unhealthy family relationship stuff as a kid, she was 30, educated and well off when she started pulling the shit with him. Yeah, she'd already been like to a school, a boarding school away from her family where she like, yeah, she, you know, learned and experienced new things, but she should she could have gone off on her own. Absolutely. She had no, no, she had 
free money coming in every year. Yeah, she's a coward who just lived under her father and did whatever he did and that constantly just got tossed around. Absolutely. I mean, there's just no understanding this except for that she is just a pathetic human being. Fuck you. Yeah, (laughs) I know you're listening, Ghislaine. (laughs) Um, And she knew... So, she, yes, she knew very well what she was doing. Christina Oxenberg, <laughs> again, says that Ghislaine said to her in 1997, Jeffrey is very important to me and I need him to marry me. I mean, how could you pass up a lifetime of child trafficking when you could own several Birkin bags? You know, like yeah. who among us hasn't thought about it? I mean, Birkin bags, they are expensive. It's hard. It's a hard thing. You $100,000 a year. How many Birkin bags can you buy? Zero. They are a thing. I, I look because I like like fashion and I look at some of these high end bags and I'm just kind of like, mm, but you're OK. I, I'm not into it. I think yeah. I think labels kind of suck, although I love clothes, but I love clothes. Labels. I don't know. I, I, I shop it wherever what I like. I like I try to support like cool independent designers yeah. a lot. Um, because I just don't really care about spending $8,000 because somebody's name is on it. Stupid. Also, they usually use leather, which I don't try to try not to use. Anyway, I don't know if you've heard of her, but most people who follow this story know who Virginia Jufri is. She's one of Epstein's longest running victims, and she was picked up by Ghislaine at Mar-a-Lago, famously. She was also the one in that um, notable picture with Prince Andrew. She's like the skinny blonde girl that he's like gripping. Ugh. Um, She is Virginia is really the one who helped move the needle forward with her bravery and refusing to back down after years and years of being pushed back and under the rug and silenced and pushed away and pushed away. You know, they hurt her. Well, listen to this. So Ghislaine grabbed her in the year 2000 and she asserts that Ghislaine was completely involved in the initial assault and many after like not just aware of it, but actively physically assaulting her with Jeffrey over and over again. She was 16 when she was picked up from Mar-a-Lago and Jufri uh, stated Maxwell was about sex all the time. She had sex with underage girls virtually every day when I was around and she was forceful. I observed Maxwell have sex with dozens of underage girls. Um, not that this matters either, but I found it interesting that even those young victims caught the desperation fumes coming off of Ghislaine. Ooh. Laura Goldman, Ghislaine's friend, said she believed Ghislaine's involvement was less about sex and more about asserting her position as Epstein's main girlfriend. I really, really believe that she was there to tell the girls, he's my man. She wasn't there for the girls. She was trying to mark her territory or domination or whatever. Yeah. Um, which is so pathetic. It's scary. It's always those guys, girls, that every time they like fuck over other women so hard because they want these dudes to fuck them. Well, I think, yeah, I think labeling yourself as a guys girl is just weird in general, especially nowadays. Like in the 90s, I guess it makes more sense. But yeah, if you should just be like a people's girl, like whoever. Yeah, <laughs> shit, you I'm know? a people's girl. Yeah, I'm a people's girl. Unlike the people. <laughs> I'm more of a dog's girl person. <laughs> yeah, so that person, by the way, Laura Goldman, she attributed this quote and she was criticized heavily and has been challenged on some of her claims, just FYI. But I also think the sentiment remains to be pretty accurate to everything I've read about Glenn. Also from the spider, Robert recalled once asking Maxwell about the nature of her own relationship with Epstein. The teenager wondered what the older woman would get. So this is Virginia again. So Virginia's uh, maiden name is Roberts, by the way. So Virginia Roberts Jeffrey. And she recalled once asking Maxwell about the nature of her own relationship with Epstein. The teenager wondered what the older woman got out of the seemingly one-sided relationship with Epstein. 
It takes the pressure off of me having to have sex with him, Roberts, and said Maxwell responded. She told Roberts that she had hit a hard times and was disgraced, and Epstein had offered her a job. So, uh, yeah, she she definitely knew what she was doing, and I also think she was there because she needed Jeffrey's approval, no matter how far she would have to go to do that. This couple, so Ghislaine and Robert would further confuse and manipulate Jufri by bringing a level of normalcy amidst the abuse. She would go from being in the middle of an intense S&M session with other girls, where once she had to decline drinking another girl's blood. What? To describing sitting around and watching sex in the city with them on the couch, eating popcorn and having family like dinners. That's almost more fucked up because if yeah. you're just like watching TV and then someone's like, let me drink your blood. You're like, well, I guess the blood drinking is also normal. Yeah. Yeah. She really she got her mind was warped from a young age. So Ghislaine would help facilitate Virginia and other girls being lent out after a while to other rich people or even just being entertainment for random guests of Jeffrey on his planes, homes or island. This would include not direct sexual contact, but it was clear that there were multiple very young, very, very young different girls with him all the time, and no one seemed super bothered by it. One of the most disappointing names I came across was Matt Groening of The Simpsons. Wait, what? While she didn't accuse him of having sex with her, she was forced to massage his feet on Jeffrey's private plane while everyone watched and laughed at her. She said his feet were the most disgusting she had ever seen and that they were enjoying watching her gag as she massaged his feet. Anyway, I digress. They laughed at her? Yeah. And she's not saying that Matt Groening raped her, but he could tell this like tiny blonde girl shouldn't have been there i'm pretty sure yeah and then massage my feet and then also everyone's laughing at her while yeah it's gross this makes my heart broken yeah this is what i'm here for and these are the people telling us like oh you can be rich by making your own coffee and cut out the avocado toast it's all a lie (laughs) it's all a lie exactly these are those people yeah say that you're exactly right so then we come to 2002 again this is a highly documented time period. So I'm breezing through and skipping lots of really terrible stories because you can find them pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. But this bears mentioning Jufri, who was, again, Virginia Roberts at the time, was approached by Ghislaine and Jeffrey. They had a proposition for her. What if in exchange for a mansion and monthly stipend, you maybe had a baby for us? However, you would have to sign away all the rights to the baby what? and Epstein could fully control your access to that baby. My question is, what were they going to do with the baby? Oh, my God. This is this is like I can't even think of being this sick. I know it's really impressive. You know, we don't really know. But I mean, it could have been Ghislaine just simply having a case of the baby blues, I guess. And she wanted to be a mommy all of a sudden. Or was there something more sinister? We fortunately don't have to know because it was the wake up call that Virginia needed. And she basically from that point had to trick her way out of his grasp. And she ended up moving to a different country to escape. Just to get away. Yeah. The story of her escape is really interesting, too. Really? Yeah. um, He basically funded her to go to Thailand to get what ultimately was it was disguised as her going to massage school. But what he wanted her to do was get him a tiny Thai girl that she could bring back. And she met an Australian man 
and they fell in love and she got married to him the next week and they are still married and they have children. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And they live in Australia. It's pretty crazy. Crazy story. Um, She tells it a lot better than that, but. And how old was she then? Like what? 18? So let's see. She was. Yeah. She was about 18 because they took her in in the year 2000. She was 16. Yeah. So she was only there for a few years, but she was really there with them, like all the time. And he's just using probably like just a repeat, like you get a girl in the system for a little bit and then she becomes the new madam. They basically were were grooming her for that. And she wasn't the only one. And also there were a lot, a lot of other girls in and out during her time period. But they definitely wanted to, they thought that they could convince her to take on this role that other girls eventually did, who we'll talk about next episode. And then we get to Ghislaine's role as a strong arm. Did she call some of the abused girls after they had become women to challenge them to not to speak out or or they might have a little accident? Yes, she did. What? When Maria Farmer and her sister began to speak out in the mid-2000s, they began to call her art clients and ruin her reputation. And then Ghislaine called Maria and said, and I quote, I know you go to the West Side Highway all the time. While you're out there, just please be very careful because there's a lot of ways to die out there. Mm. You know, I know in business when the other side is threatening and aggressive, the more aggressive they are, actually, you have more power than you think you do. Right. Totally. And it it is that way. And it's so hard when you're in that moment, I'm sure, to see it in that way because they're so powerful. But the reason she's getting that aggressive is because... She's afraid and Jeffrey's afraid. Yeah. And she actually has the power. Although I will say back then it was a lot harder for rape victims to be taken seriously than, I don't know, the last like three years have been better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so she essentially threatened her life mafia style. And even though the late 90s and the early 2000s were a cesspool frat boy hellscape that definitely did not care about these girls one bit. They and their families continued to try to speak out. And this leads us to the famous slap on the wrist punishment in 2009 by Alex Acosta, a former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Miami. It wasn't even a slap on the wrist. He essentially, Jeffrey basically was handed a trophy as his punishment for the accusations he was getting. The existence of these accusations have been circulating for years within the Palm Beach Police Department. The fact that Jeffrey gave the department a $90,000 gun simulation machine helped the accounts get buried for a while? I don't know. Oh, my God. Of course, it's always from the top, people giving them money. Yep. So, I'm just throwing it out there. (laughs) Regardless, one of the stipulations Epstein had for his punishment, and also really stipulations, you get to have demands in your punishment, the most important stipulation for Epstein was that the NPA, which is a non-prosecution agreement, protect his employees from being charged as co-conspirators. The agreement secured immunity for Sarah Kellen, Glenn Maxwell, Adriana Ross, Leslie Groff, and Nadia Marcinkova. The agreement hammered out between the parties provided immunity to all named and unnamed co-conspirators from future state and federal charges. There was no mention of Ghislaine in this agreement, though the wording of the NPA was fluid and allowed for additions at a later date. So, excuse me, Ghislaine's name wasn't on that. It was the other girls who got put on there. Oh, yes. Uh, Sarah Kellen was Ghislaine's uh, lieutenant. Yes. Yes. That was she got got that that name because she ended up being what they wanted from Virginia, which was sort of being the next one to come. So during this long court battle, 
this is the time that Ghislaine begins to pull away from Jeffrey. It truly seems more like it wasn't about her being regretful, but that the fact that Jeff wouldn't just settle down already. Mm. And this can be partly exemplified by the fact that she wrote a glowing testimonial for him as a character reference for court during this time period. But poor Ghislaine's heart will go on. And she found another rich guy who wasn't making her work so hard. Oh, I mean, she's in her mid 40s at this point. She just wants to have love. Yeah, I mean, relationships are hard. Yeah. I for sure would like to like fall in love and get married, but I'm not going to like fuck kids to do that. You know what I mean? Well, I guess you don't really want love then, do you, Amber? (laughs) Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Um, so, yeah, she began dating Ted Waite, the founder of Gateway Computer Company. And they had a grand old time sailing on his yacht. Just like Dad, they're back on a yacht. They're always on these boats. This yeah. is, I do love boats. Don't love them too much. I don't think it makes you good. I just get power hungry like God. <laughs> so he no longer had Ghislaine to help him, but he really figured it out by this point. He was also so powerful and connected that he really didn't have to worry about an endless supply of impoverished underage girls being depleted. So Ghislaine, you don't have to worry about her because she enjoyed a good decade of just being rich and not having to face consequences for her actions after that. During that time, she spent a considerable amount of energy speaking for the conservation org she started, Terramar. It's poetic in itself and kind of strange that even her passions were connected to her father's life and his demise, seeing as the sea was the stage of his weird death. And that was what she focused on in her spare time. Love of the sea. She did. She loved it. The sea got hugged by her father and she never did, you know? Oh, the sweet warm hug of death yeah i've watched some of the videos of her speaking during this time period and there's this um awkwardness that wasn't present in her earlier years i would like recommend going just googling them she seems to sort of quiver in her body her eyes dart around she stumbles on words like her eyes are never she doesn't look proud her shoulders are sort of slumped and there's not a lot to connect her to that charismatic, vibrant young person she might have been at one point. Because her whole life is probably built on youth, being young, being thin, being pretty, being like, you know, the bell of the ball. And like being older, you're still beautiful. In fact, I find older women incredibly attractive. But in this world, you're not. Yeah. And I also think that it, it can be partly because she knew ultimately what she had done and that was residing inside of her. Yeah. No matter how much she tried to convince herself of justifying what she did, 
it's still in you. Like something you get like slimy if that's in your body, you know, in your mind, in your body, even if you like were like, oh, I didn't really do anything. You know, you did. It's guilt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I would recommend just looking at it because I was just staring at her and her old and like, you know, the 2013, 2014 era before she was getting charged with stuff. It's really it's fascinating. But so by 2015, Ghislaine had stopped all contact with Jeffrey. Of course, you don't just erase your past. She had, in fact, she said at one point when she's being served in 2020 that she hadn't spoken with Jeffrey in a decade, which was not entirely true because Virginia Jufri filed a suit against them in 2015 and they had to communicate at that point, too. Yeah, I bet she hated him. Ghislaine? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure she resented the fuck out of him. Yeah, the things he made her do. Too little, too late. Too little, too late. And also, you did him, babe. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, between 2007 and 2011, more than $20 million from offshore accounts connected to Epstein were transferred to Maxwell. So in the end, baby girl got her money. Okay. It's what she wanted. $20 million. Well, you know, all right. That's her thing. That was the cost of her soul, I guess. During this estrangement period is when she became deeply involved with the Clintons. Though Bill and her first interactions were during the Epstein years. There have been multiple witnesses to say that Ghislaine and Bill were actually in a passionate love affair during those end years and into the estranged years. Whoa. Of her. Yeah. Old saxophonist Bill. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yep. Um, there, those have never been confirmed, but there's some pretty compelling accounts to say that there could be some truth to that. I just like Ghislaine Maxwell's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, very mature woman. She's not a child, so that's good. That's all I'm asking, really, you know? Uh, but so regardless, she shamelessly continued to rub elbows with the rich and famous all the way up until she realized the shit done hit the fan in 2019. So she was just uh, like living it up until that point. And then we arrive at her missing status, which continued for almost a year. It was in August of 2019 that a photo of Ghislaine at an In-N-Out burger went viral. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be almost certainly a faked photo and potentially put out as a red herring. Yeah, so- I don't see her eating it in and out. No, everyone who knew her was like, she. this is fake because she would not eat this hamburger. No, she's not going to eat a hamburger, and let alone in and out yeah. It's peasant food. It, it seems like there's a solid um, possibility that, and I think this has maybe even been confirmed at this point, I'm not sure, but that it was put out as a red herring by her people so that people would be looking for her in California. And where she really was, was a property she had purchased in 2019 for cash in Bradford, New Hampshire. That's where she was hiding out all that time. And it turned out later on that some of her siblings were actually helping her to remain there, hidden. Um, I mean, I guess they all grew up under this, like, crazy roof, so they get each other. Yeah, and I don't know how deep their moral wells go in that family. So I guess nice that they were there for their sister. Um, (laughs) I don't think I would ever help my siblings if I knew they had molested children. No. Well, well, she got all this money and they crave money. And it's they're true. probably a little bit poorer now from like all of the court dealings from their father. Yeah, I think they're just regular millionaires, not like hundred billionaires. You yeah. know what I mean? Which, you know, again, practically homeless. I think it, during that time, if her hope was that people would just, I don't know, like get bored and move on with the world. There were people calling for blood from this case. People were furious. And when Jeffrey died, it was all on her. Much like her father did with his children, Jeffrey fled the coop and it was up to her to deal with the fallout. It was again her father incarnate. Damn, and she just has to like take all of the burden. 
Yep. I, is it bad? I feel bad for her. Yes, because she also molested the children. <laughs> and she did the whole fucking bullshit, too. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really good for us to see her as a human, even though she's a shitty, per- terrible human. Yeah. Because, not because I want to feel sorry for her, or get people to feel sorry for her, but to then work on how we can prevent these things from happening in the future. Yeah. And villains never think, oh, I'm doing a bad thing. I love doing the bad thing. They think they're doing a good thing. Or at least, yeah, like a thing they have to do. Yeah, or like, I have to survive. Like, in order for me to survive, I need this man's attention and I need him to marry me for his money because I like living this certain kind of life. I can't be on the street. What are you going to do? Live off a six-figure salary? That's crazy. (laughs) Oh, I'm just going to go molest these children. (laughs) I mean, that's what happened. (laughs) On Thursday, July 2nd, 2020, the feds raided her new pad and took her away without incident. Though she did hide until the very last second. When they came to call, she ran into a room and shut the door until they came and got her. She doesn't have a panic room? I feel like with all that money, you should have a panic room, at least. I know. It's weird because she kind of behaved in like a, almost like a kid where she was just like, I'm going to go in here and then I want to deal with it. No, I'm going to go in the bedroom. Um, (laughs) She's probably still is a kid. Yeah, in a lot of ways, probably mentally. I mean, usually your brain stops developing at the time when trauma happens. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, like like celebrities that act like assholes because they got famous when they were teenagers. Like Bieber and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And like teenagers are inherently assholes. They so. are. You can't help it. You yeah. are just a dick if you're a teenager. And I'm sorry if you're out there, but you'll get over it. Yeah. And wasn't she three years old? And she started like. Well, I think all the way back to her mom, like kind of blaming her unfoundly for her brother's brother's coma. coma. Yeah. She was like the harbinger of doom for the family. And she's always, her mother blamed her and then she was the harbinger of doom. Mm -hmm. So then she became one with her father. And that made her mother resent her even more because he liked to spend more time with Ghislaine than he did Yeah, And so she found like, oh, I'm getting like rewarded for being the harbinger of doom. Yep. So then did it again with Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. Just keeps doing that. Yep. Yeah, all the way up into her fucking, you know, she was in her 40s when she tried to back out of it. It's like a little too late. Uh, She has been in custody ever since this time period. She has yet to, however, show an ounce of remorse. She's, in fact, tried every method under the sun to get them to take her bail. She keeps saying, like, what if I give you more money so she can spend her days awaiting trial in a comfortable spot? She doesn't like jail. It's not fair, and she doesn't like it. <laughs> That's essentially her argument for why she should get out. I mean, people like commit crimes so they can go to jail because it's nicer for them. Yeah, and they can get food and stuff. Yeah, and have shelter. But it's not fair. fair. That is the vibe that she's putting out. Then there's the fact that she and her team are trying to get that old NPA by Epstein to be like... See, I can't do the crimes because the paper said I can't do them. <laughs> it's not going to work, but like she, her team is really trying from those ones from the uh, the Florida cases from 10 years ago. And then she also has been trying to argue that the jury they've selected isn't diverse enough, which is rich. It's clearly some kind of delay tactic. I don't yeah. know why, but it's just nonsense. It's not, I don't know she, who cares like she's not getting out either way I don't know why she's trying to delay the trial but. yeah everybody on this planet is gonna be like woman go to jail yeah and I, the the whole like I don't know why she would want it to be more diverse because I'm pretty sure the only people of color she's ever been around have been either her servants or victims so I don't think sh- diversity would help her case no. at all 
if anything, if she had a, just a jury of shitty white people, they'd probably go lighter on her. Anyway, the case against her is damning and the evidence is continuing to mount. So, yeah, we're going to be wrapping up here in a second. I wanted to touch on the very end of this episode on the other women. And I realized there's so much content about those other co-conspirators that I wanted to do its own episode. So we're going to push into a fourth episode. I mean, they deserve it. They do. You know, they worked hard <laughs> for it. And... uh it's their moment to shine. I know. It sucks. It's almost worse to be named on this NPA because it's not going to ultimately save you. And now it's like you have a huge neon sign pointing at your head being like, gross creep right here. Bad, bad, <laughs> bad. Um, yeah. So now they're going to all these people are going to take the fall for him, too. So, yeah. And I'm, I want to talk about them because on the show, I'm going to be talking about victims a lot of the time. But I think series like this are also important to provide, you know, an understanding like we were just talking about of how did we get here? And I want to look at those backgrounds of those women, too, because it's confusing when you get to some of these girls who were brought in really young, but then decided to stay around for a long time. I mean, that happens. And a lot of like I read and I probably said this on a earlier episode, a lot of traffickers, a tactics they'll use is they'll go up to a girl and they'll say, like, you're really pretty. And girls with confidence will say, thank you. And then girls with low confidence will say, oh, well, I don't know. I got a big forehead or whatever. And those are the ones that they target. Right. Yeah. Anybody who seems vulnerable. Yeah. In any any way. And I think you're totally correct in that. And uh, I forget why I said that. Because I, I think it applies. <laughs> <laughs> those girls, the co-conspirators, they're not girls anymore. They're women, but. Some of those co-conspirators were potentially, we'll get into their histories. They're a little bit nebulous, but it, at least some of them probably were underage when they first started hanging around with Epstein. So we'll talk about that. There's, I think, four main ones. We'll just do one episode on everybody. And then I just wanted to end the episode with highlighting the organizations that we're going to give to for the series. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Virginia Jufri's organization that she's launching currently called the Victims Refuse Silence Organization. It's I think it's still in developmental stages right now, so they're not taking donations at this time. But if you guys want to help support her, you can check back on that in the future. Otherwise, for this series, we're going to give to the Sex Workers Project for Urban Justice Center. So their mission statement is in collaboration with and guided by impacted communities, we offer legal advocacy to survivors of human trafficking and people who engage in sex work, regardless of whether they do so by choice, circumstance or coercion. So I wanted to focus on them because even though it's not directly regarding child trafficking, it can be from because of child trafficking. Um, also, because we are dealing with all of these people who are coming out of this. And this is the first time in history where they're actually being listened to. And there's all these adult women now who have had no justice. And I love that they're working within the legal system to to try to get that justice for them. Yeah. So if you guys want to check that out, it's the Sex Workers Project for the Urban Justice Center. And also... If you think you may know of or be experiencing human trafficking yourself, you can go to humantraffickinghotline.org or call 1-888-373-7888 or text 233-733. So yeah, I would just like, I would end this by saying, I think there's a lot of really, and you can probably talk about this a little too. I don't know if you have any that you you would point to, but um, there's a lot of really good organizations and 
sources to enact real change within this problem, I just would throw out there to use caution to be sure you're not researching within the realm of QAnon. That group adopts terms like save the children, and it can be confusing. And I know people personally who've completely accidentally become involved with QAnon people because they were trying to be a part of like they were, they wanted to contribute to this this movement this cause and then they got involved with these people who were QAnon people but they didn't under, understand what that meant. Oh yeah, I mean it's um, easy. Like nobody wants to see children get abused, but like before you know it, if you're not careful, like oh aliens, you know. Right. Or just like QAnon accuses a lot of people who really have no uh there's no proof that any of the people, some of the people that they're accusing have had. Yeah, done like it. Pizzagate was bullshit. Right. Focus on the real deal. Exactly. And so just, you know, uh, make sure you're, you're checking in so that you're not on a QAnon site. It's making it harder actually to help victims since it's clogging up the works a lot and making everything really confusing. So yeah, and just remember child sex abuse is not limited to a political ideation or a profession or an income bracket. Both Trump and the Clintons come up over and over and over throughout Epstein's story. And if you try to look at it objectively, neither one of them look very good in the end. Hmm. Um, so people who, who participate in these sort of things, they come from all walks of life. And uh, it's just better to look at it from a clear slate, not from a... Um, I think it's helpful for the kids to not look at it through a lens. Yeah, this is a politically... You could be left, right, whatever. Just... Yeah. You just... Know. just Try to look at it cleanly without the other noise inside of it. And then I'll just end it with the, uh, a, a quote about the, uh, from the journalist who followed her, her uh, Glenn's family around and then as a child and then saw her again as an adult at a different party. Mm. So I met Ghislaine six years ago at a summer party overlooking St. Tropez. The host was a London property developer. We stood having a drink. Inside the glass-walled bar, a naked girl was writhing. Ghislaine showed no surprise, nor did she express emotion when a rocket from the party's fireworks hit a beach hut that burst into flames. In 40 years, the sweet little girl had become a hardened woman. And she really did, I think, shut down in a lot of ways, but uh, still 100% her fault. Oh, my God. She... This is so heavy. I know. <laughs> this is what you're going to get, baby. Yeah. That's what you get when you come talk to old Natalie Jean. Oh, my God. I mean, it's it's interesting to look at, like, the villains mm -hmm. and why they behave this way. It really started from how she was treated as a child, mm -hmm. how her mother and father treated her, how she saw the world. And then, you know, she was a co-conspirator in it. She never left and did anything on her own. No. But that takes balls and gumption to do so. So she just hid and stayed safe. Yeah, she definitely lived a life of a coward. And it doesn't pay to do that. No. Um, thank you for, for letting me tell you this story and for your perspectives and for um, being upset uh, <laughs> while I talked to you. Um, and uh, yeah, and thank you all out there listening to this. And if you want to get some more supplementary stuff, I'll be having it up on our TikTok and our Instagram at someplace underneath. I am Natalie Jean. You can follow me at the Natty Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. You can follow me at Amber Smelson, S M E L S O N, on everywhere, including Patreon. Hell yeah. And uh, we'll be back next week with the, uh, the Galen Friends. Oh, the friends of Delane. Yep. All right. Peace.
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.